Welcome to Veteran State of Mind. I'm your host, Garen Jones, and um, apologies. Today was supposed to be a ransom bounce, but Tony Blair has sabotaged Joe's motorbike, and he is stranded on the side of the road somewhere. Um, I don't know where exactly, because to be honest, not that concerned about Joe. He's a peasant. He's replaceable. Well, not today, he's not. So, unfortunately, instead of ransom bounce, you're just going to have me going through some of the stuff that we were supposed to go over today. And um, Before we get into it... Um, Wanted to say a thank you to the Patreons for supporting the podcast uh, for as little as a quid a month. You can support the podcast. Everything that goes into the Patreon goes on recording costs. Um, and um, yeah, really appreciate you guys doing that. It's been a while since we did this. Um, I didn't heard the reasons are kind of numerous, but um, everything that goes into the Patreon pot is used on recording. So if you don't get episodes for a few weeks, that means you'll get more episodes in the following weeks. So uh, we got a few more lined up for next week. Um, so <clears throat> becoming thick and fast, as they say. All right, let's get into this. So I want to start today. Um, kind of sad Joe's not here for this one, to be honest, because I know he, I know he would have some strong opinions on this. But I'm, on, <laughs> I'm keeping a few of the stories, um, keeping a few of the stories back for him when he's on. But there's a few that we can kind of go around because I know it's been ages since we put an episode out, and who knows when it'll be before me and Joe get a chance to sit down again. Um, contrary to popular belief, we do have lives. So, um, I'm going to read a few articles from a guy who's actually been on the podcast, um, Hamish de Brett Gordon. Um, and I just want to kind of say that, you know, just because I disagree with this bloke's opinions does not mean that I think the bloke is a bad bloke. And the reason I say that is because I think that is something that as a collective, as a society, you know, we seem to have lost touch with, you know, you're allowed to disagree with somebody without hating them. Um, and, you know, that's something that, like, you know, I'm the same as everyone else. Sometimes I kind of get lost on that. And I, you can get kind of tangled up with, you know, with uh, confusing, not liking someone's ideas when not liking the person. So, you know, it's nothing personal about this. However, if a person has really shit ideas, then, and, and puts them out publicly, then it's a fair game to comment on them publicly. Um, these, these articles are all published in The Telegraph. Um, so this first one, Putin is on the ropes. Britain can prepare Ukraine for the final blow. This war cannot be allowed to drag into another year. We must give the hawks circling, circling Putin the carrion they need to remove him. So these are this is a Hamish with the Brett and Gordon article in the Telegraph from the 15th of May. Um, the Russians are down, but not quite out. I mean, that in itself to me is um, a really kind of assumptive statement. I don't see anything to suggest that Russia is, is down. Um, I don't see anything to suggest that they're losing. Could you say that they're not winning? Absolutely, but um, I, I, there's really nothing to suggest like that that they that they are anywhere near exhausting the manpower, anywhere near exhausting their kind of will to fight with this. In fact, we'll kind of come on to some reasons about maybe we're giving them more reasons to fight. Um, with uh, this, back to the article with uh, Zelensky in the UK meeting Rishi Sunak, British arms could soon enable the Ukrainian armed forces to do deliver the killer blow. So a few of these articles are kind of going to link in together, right? So one of the things Hamish is going to argue in his, his, his next article is that Moscow is a legitimate target because of Russian actions in, um, in Ukraine. And, you know, I think you can make a fair argument that that is, is, is a reasonable case. But what I think people like Hamish are kind of missing there is if you're going to use that argument, then I think you also need to accept the argument that if we're supplying weapons to Ukraine, if we're training Ukrainian pilots, if we're training Ukrainian soldiers in the Ukraine with British Army soldiers, we are too a legitimate target. 
And I just want you to keep that in mind as we kind of go through these articles. So, you know, I think it's kind of like you can't come, you can't come out and say, well, this is a legitimate target because they're involved with the war and then say, well, we're not a legitimate target. We're just training the troops, arming the troops, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, you can say that you can say that that's not a direct role in the war. I think when you're arming someone and training soldiers, that is a direct role in the war. Um, it's also been released that there are British special forces on the ground in Ukraine. Now, what role that is? We don't know exactly, but the fact is we have troops inside Ukraine as well. So um, that's just something to keep in mind. Um, Hamish goes on to say, it's all good stuff, but Britain's lead must be followed by others. American Europe must rally and give Kiev everything it asked for this week. Long-range missiles do not no good on the shelves of warehouses where they could be blowing up Russian tanks. Uh, again, i got to disagree with that. Um, the idea that we should keep no reserve um, and no reserve, no contingency ourselves. Um, you know, if you guys, if anyone listening has, has served in the military here, your 2IC always has extra ammunition. Your platoon sergeant has a reserve of ammunition. You know, the company has a reserve of ammunition. You do not put everything out in your guys that are up at the front. Um, you know, reserves are important in manpower and in equipment. Um, if we don't enable Ukraine to finish the war this year, we will be storing up trouble for years to come. Again, I, I just have to say on this one, I, I, I really think... Hamish here is missing the point of of what a lot of Westerners, uh, Western leaders want from this war. If they wanted a quick end to the war, then they wouldn't have um, they wouldn't have um, convinced Ukraine to turn down a peace deal early last year. You know, it, it, it you see a lot of American politicians talking quite openly now about that this 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 war is about bleeding Russia dry. Um and you bleed Russia dry, you know, you don't put a time limit on that. You you drag them in for years. You know, look at we were in Afghanistan for 20 years. The Russians were there for things like 7 years something like that. You know, America was involved in Vietnam for the best part of 10 years. You know, to 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 think that this is going to be over in 2 years if the aim is to be a proxy war is is just is just totally naive to be honest. Um, he goes on to say, what was meant to be a special military operation lasting a few weeks has turned into a 15-month military disaster for the Russian autocrat. Again, it's something where I just think like there's a lot of hubris in the West when they say this. Um, I, you know, I just say, cast your mind back to when we went into Afghanistan in 2001 to finish off Al-Qaeda. We were all under the impression that, that was going to be an in-and-out mission. Go in, finish Al-Qaeda off, get out. Turned into a 20-year war. So I think there's like a really lot of hubris in the West about this. A lot of kind of um, this idea like, oh, this would never happen to us. Would just fucking happen to us. We literally just came up with a twenty year war that should have lasted a couple of months. Um, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna skip into the next kind of article, which is of his, which is overthrowing Putin is a legitimate war aim. Um, so this is uh, so I'll go read the subheader. Whoever was behind the drone strikes on Moscow, Kiev can't be criticized for striking at Russia's heart. Again, can they be criticised for it? Well, no, I mean, like, it's fair enough. If, you've, if your country's under attack, you're going to want to hit back at the other country. But does that make it a sensible idea? You know, like, right now, there's, there might be a lot of people in Russia who aren't behind the war. But once you start taking civilian casualties, you know, you, once you start inflicting civilian casualties on Russia, they're not, you know, all of a sudden, that really changes, like, the kind of, like, the public kind of perception of the war in that country so i think that, again that's quite a really kind of naive view and like i said earlier you know if you're going to say that 
Kiev can't be criticised for striking at Russia's heart. Well, I think you also have to accept that you couldn't criticise Russia for striking at British um, uh, the, the uh, British arms depots or British um, manufacture, arms manufacturers or even the MOD, which is in the middle of London. You know, like if, if you're going to say one of those is legitimate, then the other one is too. Um, and then, you know, he got, this is the bit that really got me. He says, why, um, which is why yesterday's drone attacks on wealthy neighbourhoods in the Russian capital, home to official government residences and mansions of tycoons, are so embarrassing for Vladimir Putin over 12 months into his special operation. Again, he brings up the special operation thing, which seems to be like a, a drum that a lot of people seem to like, like to beat. You know, but again, it's like when you launch an attack on a city... You, like, I'm sure everyone listening to this, you probably have a lot of pride in where you're from. If someone launched an attack on Wrexham, all right, maybe not Wrexham, maybe maybe, maybe Wrexham's not a good example, but if someone launched an attack on um, your town, it's probably not going to matter to you if like that attack landed in the wealthiest neighbourhood of the town or not. You know, you're, you're going to see that as an attack on your town, on your home. There's 11 million people that live in Moscow. You know, like... You know, twice twice the size of bloody London. And, you know, this is just something, again, like to bear in mind. It's like, yeah, you can't really criticise them for doing it, but is it a kind of good idea? You know, um, and, and Hamish goes on to basically say that, we, you know, trying to overthrow Putin would be a good idea, et cetera, et cetera. And, again, I'm not going to argue with him, but maybe the world would be a better place without Putin. But what gets me about this is just like, in the last 20 years... How many autocratic leaders have we overthrown? I mean, just off the top of my head, we've got Saddam Hussein, we've got Gaddafi, tried to do it to Assad. Um, you know, we've done it in um, numerous kind of, over the last hundred years, we've done it in South American countries, we've done it in Africa, we've done it all over the place. Tell me how many times any of those have ended up well, going well. Like, look at Libya, to failed state. Iraq is still basically constantly at civil war. You know, ISIS came out of the fact that we overthrew um, Saddam Hussein. We've got the whole refugee crisis off the back of it. And none of those people, none of those leaders had nuclear weapons. Um, it, I believe nucle- uh, Russia has the largest nuclear arsenal in the world. So do we think that Putin would just go gently into that good night? Or maybe would he just say, fuck this, I've got nothing to lose. Time to throw some nukes around. Oh, and you know what? Britain's been the one that's been supplying them all. Maybe we'll just stick a nuke on London. Like, this is this is the stakes that we're playing around with here. And this is the best bit about it, is in his next article, he now say, he says, we are now dangerously close to nuclear war. Really? Do you think that maybe has something to do with the fact that you're talking about overthrowing this guy and that you're saying that it's okay to attack Moscow and that you're saying that you want to keep arming the country and training the troops? Do you think that might have something to do with the fact that we're dangerously close to nuclear war. Like, and this is this is what I've never got about this. Is like, if you genuinely believe that whoever controls the Donbass is worth going to nuclear war for, then why aren't you out there yourself? Why aren't you fighting? Not that old. You could pick up a rifle, you could go out there. You know, anyone that's out there that's supporting this flirtation with nuclear war, if Ukraine is that important to you. Why aren't you out there? Because the truth is, you're not that you're not that um, invested in it. You know, you like the idea of right and wrong, which I totally kind of agree with. Someone's being invaded, you think that's wrong? Totally agree with it. But 
you don't you don't actually want to nu- risk nuclear war because if you did want to risk nuclear war, if you wanted to risk your whole family being wiped off the fucking face of the earth, you'd go out there yourself. And the fact that you haven't speaks to the fact that you don't actually really kind of believe in this cause as much as you say you do. Um, you know, and again, like this is. Uh, he starts the article, the blowing of the dam at uh, Kohovka hydroelectric power plant by Russian state is quite simply an act of terror by this terrorist state. Could Russia have blown up that dam? 100%. There's some reasons why they might have done it. Are there some reasons why Ukraine would have done it too? Yes, there is. Um, and I would just say that, look at the Nord Stream pipeline. You know, at first, everyone was coming out saying this was Russia, they blew up the pipeline. You know, and some people, myself and Joe included, we're saying this doesn't really make sense. You know, Russia has more to lose to this than it has to gain. And then surprise, surprise, now it's all come out in the wash. Oh yeah, it was people aligned to the West that did it. Um, you know, they've traced things back now to Poland. It looks like it might have even been like a multinational operation to do it. But it definitely wasn't Russia. That much is kind of clear at this point. So when something like this happens, to just say with certainty that you know it was Russia, you know, it's just, we've already seen the... Um, We've already seen that the West, NATO, NATO allies, NATO countries are willing to do this kind of sabotage. You know, like the um, Nord Stream pipeline explosion was a massive environmental disaster. It was an economic disaster. It was nothing less than a terrorist attack. But we've just glossed over it, you know. Do you think anyone's going to be held accountable to that? Will, 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 they have, um, will they have warrants for their arrest in the International Criminal Court? Highly doubt it. Um... And the more we operate on this rules for the but not for me kind of attitude, the more, you know, we kind of, you know, when when Putin is talking to his people and saying like, look, you know, we have to fight this war because we're giving him all the fucking reasons to do it because we don't hold our own side accountable. We don't hold our own leaders accountable. We don't follow the rules ourselves. I mean, this whole invasion of a sovereign nation thing, like everyone forgot what we did in Iraq. You know, it's it's just it 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 doesn't help our situation at all in the West when we're doing all the things that we then accuse the other side of. Um, and so so Hamish admits that we're very close to nuclear war, and then he writes his other article: Putin has already lost in Ukraine. China's coming war in Taiwan must be our focus. This bloke is fucking gagging for nuclear holocaust, as if it's not like. We've already seen that, you know, by NATO continuing, like, and these are the reasons Russia gave. Maybe it's slow as shit, but it would make a lot of sense. You know, their their reasons were, you know, you you invaded these other countries, you you gave all these stories in the press about us being responsible for overthrowing your democracy, a.k.a. the Trump, all the Trump stuff, the Hunter Biden laptop stuff, which all got proven to be false, which all got proven to be... Um, not Russian propaganda, the story about bounties on heads in Afghanistan, all that got to prove to be false. You know, so we, we, whether you think that was the reason or not, undeniably you could say it was the cause of provocation, whether or not that actually was the case or not. You definitely could say that it was a, a potential cause of it. You know, so we've got, we've, got, we've, we've, we've got the opportunity here to learn from that mistake and go, okay, Maybe the saber rattling is not a good idea. Maybe what we need to do here is start talking and to start working out some diplomatic solutions and start to have some direct channels of communication and to start trying to find some ways to cooperate rather than building off into a face-off. 
But instead, people like Hamish, they just see the military as the answer. And never has been. There will be. Um, and, you know, the the only answer that you're going to get from that is, is war. Um, and when that's war with nuclear power, then that is not going to work out for a lot of people. Um, I also want to note as well that Hamish, during the COVID thing, was very wrong on a lot of things. And um, I can't remember the exact quote, so don't quote me on this. But he said something along the lines of, it's okay to suspend democracy in an emergency. So then to say that we should risk nuclear war for the quote-unquote democracy in Ukraine. And again, democracy, they ban opposition parties, they ban free, free media. Um, you know, Zelensky basically rules like a tyrant. You know, there, there is no democracy in Ukraine. Um, and so, you know, the idea that we should risk nuclear war for Ukraine's democracy... Fucking mental. Uh, okay, there's a few stories here that I was going to do with Joe, so I'm going to skip over those. Keep those. All right, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to go into this one. I'll come back on touch. I'll come back and touch on this one with um, with Joe. But um, I wanted to kind of get into it today because, like I said, I don't know when I'll be able to get Joe back on. So um, Raytheon Technologies, one of the biggest arms companies on the planet. Um, the company received a perfect 100 rating on HRC's Corporate Quality Index an annual survey of America's top companies, HRC grades companies on, uh, sorry, grades companies on their non-discrimination policies, equitable benefits for LGBTQ plus workers and their families, support for an inclusive culture and corporate social responsibility efforts. Right, give me a break for some coffee. So you read that, you think, oh, Raytheon, top blokes, really inclusive of... uh, really inclusive, diverse, you know, must be a force for good in the world. Let's have a look at Lockheed Martin. Lockheed Martin successfully satisfied all CEI's criteria. CEI, I think, is some World Economic Forum stuff, by the way. So we'll talk about that more in the future. need to get Andy Frisella back on the podcast. Um, Resulting in the 100% ranking and the designation as a best place to work for LGBTQ equality. All right, just want you to remember that now. Lockheed Martin, 100% ranking, Best place to work for LGBTQ, LGBTQ equality. Right. Now I'm going to read you something back from the Human Dignity Trust about Saudi Arabia. So this is about um, Saudi Arabia's LGBTQ rights, or rather lack of. So Saudi Arabia criminalizes same sexual activity, same sex sexual activity between men and women and between women. The gender expression of trans people is also criminalized. Sentences include the maximum penalty of death. There is evidence of the law being enforced in recent years, and LGBT people are regularly subjected to discrimination and violence. So types of criminalization in Saudi Arabia criminalizes LGBT people, criminalizes sexual activity between males, criminalizes sexual activity between females, criminalizes the gender expression of trans people, imposes the death penalty. So that's Saudi Arabia. So, keep in mind, Lockheed Martin, 100% for LGBT score. And now we've got Lockheed Martin has been a committed partner to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia since 1965. Today, Lockheed Martin's presence in the kingdom has moved beyond defense systems by providing diverse products. Well, they don't, have, <laughs> so they don't, give, don't actually give a fuck about diversity of sexual things, but they do diverse the products um, and services, technical support, and educational expertise for the kingdom's defense industry as the kingdom works towards ensuring that Saudi vision 2030 becomes a reality. Raytheon, 
Raytheon Saudi Arabia is a defense, aerospace, and cybersecurity company that supports the kingdom's military and civil defense requirements, as well as its long-term economic vision. Okay. So, as you can see there, a little, uh, little bit of a discrepancy between those two things. Apparently, they've got a 100% score on, um, hang on, let me read the exact. So, it's the best place to work for LGBTQ equality, apparently, but you're also building weapons that will be used to prop up a regime that imposes the death penalty on LGBT people. So, all right, cool. Um, so, um, so, so if I had a look at, um, I had a look at, Countries where uh, consensual same-sex acts are punishable by death. You've got Brunei, Iran, Mauritiana, Nigeria, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Qatar, Somalia, United Arab Emirates. Uh, I didn't have a look at them all, but Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Nigeria, Qatar, Pakistan are all um, clients of Lockheed Martin. Uh, I didn't look into Raytheon, but basically... There's five countries there that Lockheed Martin sell weapons to that has a death penalty for gay people. So um, the good news is that they did change their logo on Twitter to have rainbow colors. So there you go. No dramas, no harm, no foul. Um, propping up the civil def- and military defense of a country that punishes being gay by death. But rainbow colors in Twitter. Really, I don't know what more you can ask for. Um, right, hang on. Have I got anything else here now? No, right. I'm going to leave everything else for Joe because it ain't ransom bounce without Joe. That's just the truth. I'm not, I'm not enjoying myself to be quite honest. Um, but there's, you know, we've been gagging to get an episode out. So I just wanted to get a few things out there today. We'll try and get Joe back on. I want to finish though with a, um, a good news story. Just something I want to start doing more of on the podcast. Got to have some good news to count on the bad. So this is a story about uh, Harry Buddha Maga, who uh, in 2010, Harry lost both his legs above the knee to an IED in Afghanistan. Uh, This is from his website, by the way. Um, Determined to change perceptions of what is possible for people with disability, he reached the summit of Mount Everest around 3 p.m. Nepal time on 19th of May 2023. So I just want to say massive congratulations to Harry. That's an incredible achievement. Um, And um, I have reached out to him obviously want to get him on the podcast. Um, just a really incredible story. So I'll just read a little bit more here. 43-year-old Harry um, Harry has stood victorious atop the world's tallest mountain as the first ever double above knee amputee to climb Everest. Um, through his climbs, Harry aims to change perceptions on disability and inspire people to climb their own mountains, no matter the adver- adversity that stands in their week. So Harry is top bloke of the week. Um, incredible story. Um, thanks for listening today, guys. Um, sorry that we couldn't have Joe on. Blame Tony Blair and his sabotage teams for coming out and ruining Joe's bike. Um, thanks for everyone supporting the Patreon. I'll try and get a, a full-length episode out to you later in the week. We've got some recordings going on earlier in the week, so I'll try and get one out on Thursday so that you've got something a bit longer to listen to than me just doing a monologue um all right guys catch you next time we love you bye